folks, welcome inside the Parisi Palace, high above 3773's Broadway. This is a live edition of the Jake Feinberg Show, company on Power Talk. Thank you so much for making us part of your day today, and what a high honor it is to bring in somebody, a percussionist and an improviser, a composer and an educator, uh, somebody who recognizes um, the healing qualities of music and how, um, you know, at a certain point, you can get mired into trying to do things um, that other people want you to do and maybe a classicalized setting. And at a certain point, you know, you have to kind of go off the trail and uh, with the rudiments in hand and then find your own individual voice uh, and, uh, and then be able to, um, you know, put that out on the bandstand with other cats or uh, implore that to your students because, uh, what I see today in, in modern music across all genres is just, there's just, we're saturated with so much visual material, um, and uh, quite honestly, uh, the academy is not what it once was, so you have a lot of cats coming out, and there's a homogenization of sound, and as you get closer to a homogenization of sound, then um, you can't detect authenticity or individuality, um, then you start creating droids or sheep rather than shepherds and so my guest is somebody who wants to create shepherds in music and uh it's really an honor to have her jennifer wilsey welcome to the jake feinberg show thank you jake it's such a pleasure to be here with you really looking forward to yeah, hanging out absolutely uh, you know i can you say with uh surety that uh singing or music saved your life Oh yes, absolutely. <laughs> I can't. I mean, like, from uh, can you came. talk? Can you talk about you know maybe the the trauma or that you had as you know when you were younger and really how the the sound became salvation for you? Oh wow, um, sure. Um, let me let me think about where to start with that. Um, I would say that. Um, Well, I think it, it all comes comes down to listening, of course, and um, and listening through sound um, brings one into the present moment. And when when you're you're exploring being in the present moment, um, you can't be caught in your own uh, patterns of thought that might reignite trauma um, or uh, might well, patterns of thought are, are simply just not true. They're not who you are. Um, and so uh, being being devoted to the practice of listening through sound and through sounding um, absolutely is, is a lifeline, has, has been a lifeline for me for a long, long time. And uh, I think that's how I can address it in a real general way. Yeah. Well, I mean, can you can, you can you can you talk <laughs> about how you know personalize it in the way that you recognize that um, you know at a certain point it was the only thing that was going to save you from yourself? Wow. Um, let's see. Um, and I you mean, can I mean, you I can, you can say can, you can honestly yeah, say yeah. that you were like sure. you know that that that's not the case. I just so many uh, no, no, the no. the kinds of authentic creatives, most of them. Uh, I mean, music is, um, they don't do it for bliss. They do it to live. 
Right. And uh, I just feel yeah. like in some cases, especially when you're dealing with voice and you're dealing with, um, you know, sort of this, the spiritual communion of, of music, I mean, it traces back to, uh, you know, the uh, trauma from a younger age. So, I mean, it, 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 what, right. is it fair to say that, that uh, it helped you, um, you wouldn't be where you are today without, without music? Could you, could you explain the, a pivotal moment in your, early, in your early life that accentuated sure. that? Sure. Sure, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I could say that, um, I mean, I, I studied a number of instruments, you know, from a young age, but I think it wasn't until I really, um, I started studying drums and percussion as a teenager, um, around 18 years old. And be, because it involves your whole body, you know, all four limbs, um, you, you you have to be so present in your body, and I, and I think that because of earlier earlier trauma that, that I experienced, um, I certainly was out of my body a lot of the time, <laughs> and uh, and just having having drum set to study four limbs um, brought me into my body and helped helped me to realize that it's a safe place to be, and um, and when you're playing music with others and uh, particularly through improvisation, um, you start to develop a trust in yourself and a trust in other people. Um, because when you're you're making music together spontaneously, you start to realize, oh, you know, everything's okay. I don't have to be perfect. Nobody nobody has to be perfect, and uh, we can all um, sound together. And and it's a safe and and joyous place to be together. So. Um, so I can say that drum set certainly brought me back into my body, which was a, a lifesaver, absolutely. I mean, were, and, was and it improvisation? Yeah, go for I it. I mean, like, uh, were you? Um, was it just like a lot of dogma that you were raised with? What What was it that made you have to escape uh, your, you know, your own uh, sort? Yeah, life well, sort? okay. I'll, I'll 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 get into the details if you want to hear it. Sure. I you know mean, what it I, is? I just I just feel like there's so yeah. m- I talk to so yeah. many uh, other kinds of healers, you know, not necessarily yeah. musical healers, but in different modalities. That's kind of been my trip. And they're very open about, um, you know, overcoming adversity and then getting to a point where yeah. they are really their authentic self. And obviously you mm. are at that point. It's the forever journey. But mm. I think it's just important, mm. you know, to sure. I mean, to, to say that you were out of your body means that you were, you know, having to. Um, you know, find a, some kind of altered state to escape madness. So, what I mean, whatever you want to say, I just I'm curious right. as to yeah. why that gave you peace. Absolutely. Well, I, I mean, it, you know, it, it would help others to, to hear the story. That's right. Um, I I did experience um, sexual abuse when I was a young child, and um, you know, although it was uh, you know only a, a couple of occasions, um, it was you know it really changed my life. Um, and silenced me basically um, because the in the experience the abuser um, told me not to tell anyone, and uh, I didn't for a long time. And so that you know that really um, changed me from you know quite an outgoing, cheerful young child to one who was um, uh, you know already a very highly sensitive child. Um, but I did not feel safe communicating. Um, I also had a lot of, you know, changes, uh, moving house, 
quite frequently. Um, and, you know, that's that's not always easy for kids to change friendships. and, and Absolutely, so no, and it's hard. Yeah. Other, other kinds of things like that. Um, and... Uh, but you know, not not to um, dwell on those conditions is something that um, you know is a a story that has to stay with one. But um, you can, I think, but through through improvisation um, and through you can really learn to be in the present moment, um, which helps you to see that whatever conditions have happened to you, whatever that story is that you've been um, perpetuating in your mind post-trauma and whatever changes have happened in your brain and your physiology because of it, all of those things can can be healed. Um, Yeah. Uh, I mean, was there there a a point like, you know, you said you got into drumming, percussion, and... Uh um, like, was there a, uh, a moment uh, where uh, you surrendered to that, um, you know, and sort of breaking the bounds of the, your habitual nature or, or all our habitual nature of either, you know, sort of uh, dwelling in the past or projecting into the future? I mean, uh-huh. was, was there some point when you just surrendered to um, to the to the to the sound? You know, I mean, when you just basically said, sure. "I." I got to hang up. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to hang up my hangups. I have to, it's part of, you know, my, my path and my lineage, but uh-huh. I'm not going to be shamed. I'm not going to be ashamed about it. I'm not, I am going to be, try to be myself. Was there any kind of definitive moment in your early life or in your team, you know, when you started to play percussion that stands out? Um, I would say it was a very gradual process. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was, um, but there were sort of turning moments, uh, aha moments within that gradual process, um, and it was also um, it was also informed by my own um, exploration of meditative practices that did not necessarily include music um, and uh, and other kinds of uh, movement practice like tai chi, qigong, uh, other martial arts, um, just being in nature, um, but. But in terms of turning moments, I would say that one in particular was actually when I first met Pauline Oliveros, mm-hmm. um, and that was when I was a student at UC Santa Cruz uh, in about 1988, and um, she had come to um, teach or visit, you know, uh, do a class visit at a composition seminar, and <clears throat> she led the, the group in a, a listening meditation where we just just sat and listened to the sounds in our environment you know not not to do anything with them but but just to listen and receive the sounds and notice notice what was happening with our listening and um that totally blew my mind <laughs> I said, wow you know I, i'd have heard i'd heard of pauline's work um in electronic music but i, I hadn't heard of her work with sonic meditations and what was later to um, be termed deep listening, um, but I said, okay, I got to know more about this because uh, in all of my music studies thus far, nobody had ever asked me to just listen, and I felt uh, in in those few minutes of just listening in a room with other people, I felt um, so enlivened 
and so um, like <laughs> just uh, I can't can't quite describe it, but I knew that oh, this is something I really need to pay attention to. Um, so that was one one special turning moment. I mean, uh, yeah, you know, like was she? Yeah. Um, can you just talk about like fundamentally? Um, how that maybe affected your your ability to access your multidimensional self, Me- meaning like you know, just the mm-hmm. the all the great bands you know uh, that I listened to you know that they, they all just like uh, you know they're all playing off each other because they're listening to each other. Uh-huh. And uh, was it that I mean I don't believe that you uh, I, I believe that you always have had you know very big years but what what after that experience how did it change you constitutionally as a musician right that um that uh, listening while while playing music um was not limited to the sounds that i and the other musicians were generating um oh. it, it includes listening to all the sounds present in the environment. Right, the which, environmental which sounds. That's beautiful. Think, yeah, okay, riff on that. Yeah, yeah I mean, most, most really, you know, uh, musicians who, who are really into it um, uh, find a way to do that at some point. You know, if it's not just listening to the acoustics of a space and really playing to the room, um, you know, I would say, you know, most great musicians fi- find their way to that. Um, but it it was something that had not been explicit in my in my study that far thus you know up to that point so that was a, a big uh mind opener to oh uh it involves all the sounds that are happening and so when you start including all the sounds that are possible to hear not only while you're playing music but actually all the time <laughs> as, as much as you can remember to remember to listen um it starts to uh open up uh, your the it expands your sensitivity not only to sound but to other modes of perception so when you talk about multi-dimensional being um, listening like that um, you know t- developing a practice of listening to as m- whatever you can hear all the time um, is like a portal um, through you know, through sound perception, you will also open up to other kinds of perception. So not only your five senses, but you'll start to realize, oh, I'm, I am more than my five senses. Um, there's a lot more to be perceived in life than what I can see and, and touch and taste and hear and so on. What, what um, explain to the layperson uh, listening, what, what, what are some of those like multidimensional things uh portals or maybe even you know specifically like can you give an example in your in your own yeah like what have you discovered you know yeah well we we all have intuition right um we all uh like when you walk into a room and and see who's there um you can tell if somebody's angry or somebody's sad or or whatever somebody's somebody wants to uh, do you harm <laughs> or somebody really cares for you 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 can you can feel those things um, and be aware of them without necessarily um, reading a person's body language um, 
you, you can just know. Uh, some, you know, very often we experience um, what, what we would call a deja vu. You know, we know that sure. you're thinking about somebody and then they call you mm-hmm. um, or vice, vice versa. Yeah, I just feel um, like sometimes, so I, I mean, I feel like there's like times where I'm, I, I mean, I feel like I went through that situation in a different time in my life. It feels so real. You uh-huh. know, it's like a double up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think when we when we give ourselves permission to um, to you know validate our intuition um, as it happens in everyday life, we start to realize oh there are more and more layers of that that are that are possible, um, and they're you know they're not woo woo. It's it's like it's actually what uh, what we have as human beings are our, our, our capacities. Um, so um, you know when people talk about uh, for example, being able to see auras—that—that um, that is just becoming aware of being able to perceive the electromagnetic field around uh, people, around mm. human beings. Mm. And it's not—it's not the the mistake happens when you think, "Oh, I have to be able to see that with my eyeballs, right?" <laughs> um, right. Through uh, right. you know, uh, visible uh, bandwidth. Um, but actually, it's it's you you can see it better closing your eyes, um, and just to start to become curious, what do I notice when I close my eyes and look at a person? Um, and you, you start to be able to discern, oh, that's actually something that I'm perceiving, or oh, that's me thinking I'm <laughs> seeing something. <laughs> you start to perceive your own um, kind of true north of of what's actual an actual perception versus a layer of a belief about what you're perceiving does that make sense oh it's 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 important i mean it's a lot of um yeah it's a lot of what i've been cultivating in my own uh life and and being on the road and and actually um you know bringing a vibration to live music you know especially with my peers to be able to um you know create uh uh you know create the environment to allow for uh, collective consciousness to be increased, not just, uh, you know, I, a lot of people, there are people that will say to me, well, how can you expect the audience to go there if the, if the musicians don't go there first? But, you know, in this time, uh, you know, with the advent of all these, uh, you know, things that we are all attached to, like smartphones and, and a lot of distractions, um, I think it's the onus is actually on the audience to bring a vibration to the bandstand and let the musicians know that they need to play as if their life depended on it because people have that that expectation. As a result, um, I know that at certain points within the concert, what you just talked about um, with me, uh, you know, sort of beyond the bandwidth of visualization, that aura is created and really allows the guys on stage to be themselves and take chances and then that's really where new musical vocabulary comes from so I totally dig it and I I think it's really you know I just I wanted to ask you about um how you you know in a lot of ways our souls get covered with over time you know through various life experience or or you know just through the the travails of life, you know, our souls get, you know, shrouded with, with trash or, you know, get some garbage Mm -hmm. and you have to, you know, kind of clean or cleanse it and develop that 
strong sea of, of chi, and I'm a Tao. I received the Tao 10 yeah. years ago. So I, and I wanted to know how, you know, so that, you know, so Jennifer Wilsey doesn't come back in the next lifetime having to work on the same, uh, you know, sort of Achilles heels or habitual nature, how you use music, listening, deep listening sound to, um, to clean your soul. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So, um, a couple of things that I do um, before I actually make any sounds. <laughs> yeah, and I just want to be clear about myself. something. I, I also want to say I, I should. Yeah, sure. I sh- you know, I do not try to answer my question. Just go where your your mind takes you. You don't okay. have. You know, there, sometimes these things aren't even real questions. So just riff any way you feel. Oh, I I hear you. Um, so what I find is is super important before before um, making any sounds is to ground myself and um, the term grounding is is certainly becoming um, more more mainstream you, you hear it referred to in cognitive behavioral therapy and and other you know other um, uh, practices um, other therapeutic modalities so uh, and of course we hear it um, in martial arts so um, there are different ways to get there, but it, essentially it's um, it's creating a connection between your your body and the earth. Um, you know, and, uh, it's uh, you use the power of your your own mind, your visualization. Um, and what I what I tend to do is to imagine, for example, like a, a big column of light starting from around my my hips, the base of my spine, and connecting with the very, very center of, my, of the earth. And then let that column of earth just help me feel really rooted, or column of light, rather, <laughs> really rooted yes. into the earth. You can imagine a, a tree trunk and just sort of sit yourself down on that tree trunk and imagine the roots going way down. You could, um, you know, with kids, sometimes you could have them Visual, visualize like a, a monkey's tail going down and wrapping around the center of the earth or a kangaroo tail, something like that. So you can use visualization to, to help you shift, um, shift your awareness and uh, let yourself se- settle down. Um, others do it through, um, you know, noticing, say, five things that you can see in your environment, four things that you can hear, um, three things uh, that you I forget what the order is let's see uh, see here um, uh, you, you go through your five senses essentially do a five four three two one and bring yourself into the moment um, so however you get there um, you you want to ground yourself so that you're not uh, your energetic field is not just flying around exactly um, yeah so you get you get grounded and um, the other the other thing is to make sure that you, you're here in the present moment, and you know it's not always going to be a hundred percent. But you can deliberately um, say, okay, well, I know that part of my part of my thoughts have been on my job at that place, so I'm going to kind of reel my reel myself back in, and uh, from that job and from that person I've been worrying about, or this thing that was bugging me and, and you just kind of deliberately go, okay, I'm going to bring all that energy back into my body and I'm grounded and, and 
and then bring yourself your awareness into that place right behind your eyes and in between your ears right in the center of your head um, so that you find a place um, it's a great way of finding neutrality in your thoughts and in your listening so those are things I do just to to prepare if I'm not already grounded. You, you mean that you're talking about the third, um, the third eye? Yeah, third yeah. eye. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Six, six chakra, I guess. And then and once, um, once you feel like you know you are grounded in mind, body, and spirit, um, mm-hmm. I, I just you know I'm curious about how um, how to unshroud the soul to create you know, dharma and, and, you know, and karma. I feel like it's all kind of co-joined together, especially in this time that we live in now. I think some of it relates to the, you know, because we all have the divine masculine and the divine feminine within all of us. Mm -hmm. I actually wonder Mm -hmm. if you could talk a little bit about, um, you know, when you are in this state of, of contemplation uh, and peace, groundedness uh what are some of the qualities in men that you know the divine masculine that need to come to the forefront uh in order for not just women to trust them again but also like how we can function and and live in a civil society um Mm. what are some of the things that that you believe um i mean you know you don't hate men uh, it's not like, no. you know, no, you know, I mean, you know, they're, you know, but, but men feel like they're under attack. They feel threatened. Some of that has to do with, um, you know, just sort of, uh, you know, just sort of the, uh, people call it woke culture or, you know, um, sort of politically correct. I mean, I can speak for myself that I was, um, basically, you know, tr- treated very poorly, uh, run out of education for being for nothing just because I was mm. threatening to, and I'm not, and I love women. Don't get me. I mean, I, I you know, but I'm trying to say, yeah. I'm asking, you know, even though this is not really your, you know, I mean, I just wonder when you think about the chaos that we see in the sort of the patriarchal, you know, hemorrhaging going on and the, you know, that, yeah. and, and just sort of what do men, what are the divine qualities in men that need to come to the forefront in order to, you know, move forward as a, if we want to have a peaceful society. Sure. Um, well, I, I think that, um, and I think that it all comes down to each of us um, learning how to love and validate all aspects of ourselves. Um, and of course, you know, this does not mean that uh, any kind of wrongdoing that happens in the world uh, does not need to be held accountable. Um, people don't need to be held accountable for wrongdoing to others. But um, as we all learn how to embrace and validate all aspects of ourselves, including all of the aspects of the, as you mentioned, divine feminine and masculine, um, the more that we do that, um, the the more that we are, are healed and I think are are able to do do the right thing and not harm others, <laughs> um, and we also um, can experience forgiveness wherever that's appropriate. Does that 
answer your question? <laughs> well, I just wonder if you, th- I mean, like at the, at the you know, oh, as, what do, what I mean, as it relates to like, like what are the, maybe even just, um, you know, uh, we just sort of see, some people would say it's like, you know, the, the, this is like the, the death cry of the, the patriarch, but you know, there has to be some kind of balance. Um, we're not in balance. I mean, I, you know, um, do you think that if women were in charge that we would be in, why would we be in a better place? You know, I think that that is, you can't get much lower than where we're at right now. I I don't think that, um, I mean, it's definitely the darkest time in my memory. And, you know, you see um, the solutions or the, the morality and the ethics um, sort of, you know, um, sort of cast away. Um, you know, it's, it's bizarre. And I, just, and, I, and, I, and I just look at that as an imbalance. It's just an imbalance. And I wonder, yeah. you know, what are those qualities within men that, that, that need to come to the forefront? Like, is it listening? Is it, you know, Absolutely. Um, you know yeah. what? Yeah, I think what, listening. <laughs> yeah, and then what does that mean? I mean, at that point, listening, and then and then having a dialogue. I mean, that's the thing. It's like it, there's a different. What's the difference between listening and hearing? You know. Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, I, I think I, I want to try to get to more of what you're asking there, sure. um, and let's include listening and hearing there. Um, I think that, uh, of course, there there need to be structural changes um, in our institutions where um, a diversity of voices are actually at the table, um, and so that that is something that does need to continue to change. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I I think that um, as as uh, human beings learn to um, embrace, as I was saying earlier, they're all aspects of themselves. Naturally, balance will will happen more. Um, and it, this doesn't, uh, this has to mean that all of the wonderful qualities of running more male energy in a body are validated and embraced and appreciated. You know that has to happen at the same time, as uh, as with all of the wonderful things about running more so-called feminine energy in the body should need to be validated and appreciated and, and um, embraced. Um, but the only reason that those things don't happen is because of fear, um, and you know, on some level, uh, any individual who is suppressing another um you know or oppressing them is on some level afraid of that uh unvalidated power in themselves um exactly does that make make sense yeah it's right on it's totally spot on yeah yeah so you know uh, you know i i I love masculine energy and I love feminine energy and and all of the gradations of all the different ways that that those um, energies combine and can be expressed and manifest in, in anybody. Um, but I, I think you'll agree, you know, when when any part of it um, becomes uh, a shadow aspect uh, or, you know, oppressed, suppressed, 
uh, denied, then then that's where problems happen. You know, just as it relates to the bandstand, I mean, being a woman, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, how did you, can you talk about a time when, when you over, how you overcame fear on the bandstand or maybe being, sure. you know, there's plenty of times that, that, you know, people get bullied around. Yeah. Not that women don't, there, there are plenty of women bullies, but you know, I mean, you know, they're sure. someone who's like, you know, uh, who is this cat? You know, she doesn't belong here and you, they start to give you a hard time yeah. or, you know, can you talk about how you overcame fear on the bandstand? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I certainly did um, experience my fair share of those things. And especially having, you know, chosen a, a path of being a percussionist. Um, right. Exactly. Were, That's the other thing. Goofy. Percussion, heavily male yeah. dominated. And, yeah. and drum set in particular, you know, I don't um, think I realized you played uh, trap set. And, yeah. That definitely is. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I certainly uh, had my fair share of, of, you know, in hindsight, pretty funny experiences. Um, uh, but early on, when I was uh, an undergrad, I, I played with a band called Wrestling Worms in Santa Cruz. Um, and at the time, you know, it was, a, I guess you'd call it an underground rock. It was, you know, all original. Um, yeah, it was like a punk rock. It was like a punk rock band. Yeah. I love kinda, it. Kind of yeah. like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah and um, there were... Ten guys and me. <laughs> so, so you know, I, I uh, there what was such a wonderful group of guys. Um, but you know, there I was, the only female in the group, and I was one of the two drummers. Um, so yeah, I had some some fun funny experiences there with people. Can you can you um, can you talk about can one? You, can you give an example? Can you give one? Uh, let's see. Oh, uh, sound check, um, and. Uh, you know, they'd they'd say, um, Richie, would you would you play your kick drum? Um, okay, chick drummer, would you play your kick drum? <laughs> right, right, right. You know, I was like, oh yeah, thanks for for seeing me. Um, <laughs> so. Um, I mean, I guess more. Uh, you know, like I mean, that's that's like sound check kind of thing. But I mean, when when yeah. when you talk about yeah. when the you were became mentally strong enough to. You know, if somebody was trying to get in your head uh, or yeah. to psych you out, how you recognize to um, when you trusted yourself enough where that stuff didn't bother you. I mean, there were plenty of guys that I've talked to who, you know, they especially, you know, if they were white and they were playing the subcultured music of jazz, which was essentially black, you know, you I'm not sure. I don't think it really ever happened to Marsh, but I mean, it happened to many cats where they'd be like, get the F off the bandstand or you don't have you can't play for, you know, what are you here for? And I mean, it's kind of like that kind of moment of truth when someone's not even verbally, they could be doing it musically, but they're hassling you. And you just said, um, I'm going to stand my ground and play my ass off. And, yeah. and, and, and I, cause I belong. Yeah. I never experienced anything that overtly, uh, mm-hmm. you know, mean. Um, but I think what, what really changed it for me was um, in my late 20s, I started, um, I'd already been studying um, Tai Chi and Qigong for a while, but I got into um, uh, Wing Chun Kung Fu, um, which Whoa. is, um, actually, actually, I think it was uh, one of the, the uh, uh, what Bruce Lee studied originally. Oh, wow. um, and so it's a, it's pretty vicious, and it was developed by by women for women, uh, women nuns, and um, 
uh, I think really studying that um, very deeply for a few years kind of erased um, any sense of like, you know, I'm not going to, it really made me feel like, oh yeah, I I don't need to let anybody into my space, but it's not supposed to be there. Um, So I felt that really changed things for me a lot in a very concrete way. Talking to Jennifer Wilson, yeah. Do, then I didn't need to do it anymore. So, I mean, what, like, uh, you know, I'm curious about, like, you know, how outside of the, the, wrestling worms, uh, when you, uh-huh. like, when you started your professional career as a musician, were you, did you, were you on the, were you road dog in it, or did you find your way into the academy? Uh, right away I mean I think there's a fine I I don't need to explain this to you because uh, I mean you know George as a live playing musician they haven't gotten a raise since 1984 Um, Mm -hmm. you know in in this recent pandemic the unemployment package for musicians is greater I'm talking about guys that are playing six nights a week you know not in the academy but the the unemployment checks are larger than what they're even making and I just look at it and mm-hmm. I say, what the heck has happened here? Um, because, well, I guess I, I guess my, my feeling is that I'd like you to talk about, in my mind, the musician, even in your early career, in the late 80s, early 90s, was still seen as a viable profession. And do you still see a, 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 a live musician, uh, do you think that our society still views it as a profession or do you think they look at it as a musician's gift to the world? I recognize it's never been easy, but now no. it's like it's we've reached this sort yeah. of, you know, I don't know what's going to happen on the other side of this thing. So you can just riff on that any way you want. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, it's hard to know for sure what's going to happen post-pandemic. Um, I think, um, I mean, there were a couple of things that made me um, decide pretty early on that um, I did not necessarily want to be a you know regular gigging player or like want to want to build my living on performing why was that um, alone uh well, two things um one was i love teaching so much yeah. that i realized that oh you know i can have a, a full uh studio of, of students and really be you know very um satisfied um by that experience um, and uh, that that be- became very clear that oh I can I can make a decent enough living from that that um, I don't need to depend on performing um, as my income. And the other was that uh, in my mid twenties I I have a pretty bad uh, injury uh, to my wrists and shoulders um, from overplaying <laughs> and not having a couple things. Uh, straightened down in my own uh, technique at that time right and uh so i it it seemed like a carpal tunnel syndrome kind of thing um over many many years of, of therapy trying to get to the bottom of it i i finally did but it took me about 13 years to really resolve that um so i it kind of uh put put a stop to um really being out there playing a lot uh in my from my kind of my late 20s through my 30s so I I had to kind of give up a certain desire to to really be out performing a lot which 
which ended up benefiting me a lot in the long run um, to focus more on composing and to focus more on um, just developing um, as a, a meditator <laughs> that part of my life. Absolutely. And, you know, it made me, it made me realize that here's, here's what the most important thing was for me, that um, as, as huge as the gift of, uh, uh, of sound is, you know, being able to make music for myself and with other people, I actually didn't need that to be well anymore. Um, and um, but I could really experience it and love it and enjoy it and and share it with others and teach about it. But it's like, oh, I actually uh, don't need it in the way that I needed it in my early twenties. Does that make sense? Yeah, you don't have to keep saying everything you say is making yeah. sense. You don't have to worry about that. I, I, oh, okay. I, yeah, yeah, you don't have to ever preface. I'm that. used to doing that as a teacher. Yeah, I mean, so. it's it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll let you know if something's wayward, but I don't think you know. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, the reality is though, like how. I mean, I listen. My daughter plays uh, didgeridoo, and she takes piano lessons, and plays saxophone in the school. And she's got a great teacher yeah. who I she's great, you know. And I, I just you know, it's like, I mean, at least the option was there for you that because you did like the bandstand, and if you hadn't had injuries uh-huh. and maybe fell into the right place, you know, maybe you would have, you know, you had the option of. It would have been not easy, but you could have done it. And I just wonder, Yeah. I mean, in the academy today, and this goes for private teaching in 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 yeah. academia, right. I mean, is it just like, what is really available for these cats? I mean, that's what I worry about mm. the most is because you, I mean, even, right. even in the late 80s uh, in California, you could go in state to a school, I mean, you know, we go back to the seventies, you go to Berkeley, if you were a resident of California for free. So, I mean, it's like now you're paying, you're going into huge debt and you want to pursue a career in music and you're walking out. And it's like, I mean, it has got, and the greed is part of it, but what allows, what allows you the feeling of saying, well, I'm not just, you know, I'm obviously I'm, I'm surviving, paying the bills and making a living, but what is it? What are the, what is really out there for these cats now? I mean, especially vocally vocal. Mm-hmm. What what are available options for them to actually sing for their supper? Right. Um, well, uh, as I said earlier, there's a lot is changing now, and a lot is, has yet to be seen um, post pandemic. Um, what I what I usually do with my students is um, help them to clarify what it is they really really want from music um and if they feel um if they feel so compelled you know just intrinsically like i have to make music um i just try to help them to um stoke that (laughs) um desire and and you know get clear on it um what what it is they're they're actually wanting from it um so that they're not just uh, kind of flopping around into it, <laughs> um, you know. They they really get focused on what it is that they want, um, because I I am convinced that if if they stay focused on what they truly desire from a from a soul perspective, they'll they will find a way to do it. Absolutely, um, and they will create that. 
Um, so there's no doubt that that will happen. Um, uh, what what is problematic is if people are um, either just not clear um, or not knowing how to become clear about what they really want, or they're they're harboring either they're hanging on to somebody else's picture of of what it is that they want, um, you know, either from their family or from some out outside image of here's what a musician should look like and do with their lives. <clears throat> so I just try to help them um, find find their own pathway, get clear. I mean, how do you get them, how do you help them put them on a path to, uh, I mean, I said in the intro, you know, it's, I don't, mm-hmm. uh, there are so many great musicians in every town in this country and, and, uh, and a lot of them are very individualistic but the problem is I mean what used to be promoted uh, you know I found Pauline Oliveras records you know from the 70s or you know stuff that that George was doing with with Denny Zeitland or you know these things were Mm -hmm. this stuff was being promoted like individual sound creative you know communal individual stuff was like applauded and marketed Mm -hmm. okay to a degree you know Mm -hmm. what I mean but but it was like Oh, they're doing something different. That's cool. And and now everything's there were and a lot of it had to do with the fact that there were not school you know some classical schools, but outside of North Texas and Berkeley there really were no jazz schools. I'm talking more like 60s and 70s. They sure. everything's been codified now. How do you how do you you know that fine line between you know giving them getting them clear on what they want to do even though as anybody would say, at 20 years old or whatever students, uh, you know, yeah. nobody really knows anything about them. I didn't know anything about myself at that time. So it's kind yeah. of a, a tall, right. you know, that's one thing. But and then how how do you try to because we're just saturated in so much information and most of that information is mediocre. So how do you yeah. get them to become authentic? How do you get them to at least get them on the path of finding their individual voice and maybe you can give an example of a, you know, without naming names of, you know, somebody that you worked with that, you know, some days were longer than others, but at the end now where they're at, uh, they have found their, they found themselves, they found their voice. Sure. Um, yeah, I think, uh, uh, well, if, if the student is not yet clear, um, I, well, in any case, I really um, encourage them and help them toward building community um, and finding their place in a community of other creative um, people. So um, I, I know that um, when, when creative artists are actively engaged in a community of other um, creators, then all kinds of new things can happen. That's where innovation happens um, and communication so so that um, they don't have to feel alone for one thing um, and they, they have a sense of belonging and they have a sense of hope um, and a sense of um, new possibilities so I think there's going to be a lot that's going to happen that we just have no idea um, what what's going to be created <laughs> in the next years to come um, so uh, uh, let's see. That's not very specific. Um, well, no, I was I, I was I was thinking that, like maybe. Yeah. I mean, like the idea is like, like, can you talk about a time when you 
help somebody find a community, what the community was made up of and how it inspired them to put them on the path where they're at today. Sure. Um, Well, I mean, I I teach in an online uh, certification program uh, for deep listening. So Pauline's work Mm -hmm. that um, she she developed along with um, her co-creators, Eloise Gold, who is a Tai Chi and creative movement specialist, and Ione, who is a dream specialist and author and spoken word um, improviser, and two amazing, amazing human beings. Um, so the three of them um, developed an online certification program for deep listening. Starting in 1991, they they started doing in-person retreat, deep listening retreats that um, uh, combined these three modalities of listening through sound, through movement, and through dreaming. And in 2014, they did their first um, online version of this certificate program, and then the next year, um, Pauline invited me to to work with her, and uh, along with two other um, uh, certificate holders uh, who worked alongside Ione and Eloise, and we then from there have been expanding um, this online program with a few other core teachers, and so we're uh, all the time getting to work with people from all over the world, um, from various kinds of backgrounds and disciplines. Um, some of whom have never played any music or never improvised. Um, some of whom are quite experienced at doing those sorts of things. Some are, are visual artists. Some are, um, you know, uh, therapists of other kinds. And um, so I, I, all the time I'm seeing people who, uh, discover more about themselves and find new creative expression through this deep listening community so um yeah i have lots and lots of examples of people (laughs) in that um milieu yeah i mean fundamentally how has your um teaching uh you know changed um since uh the pandemic Uh, were you um working a lot in person with cats or this online thing Mm -hmm. is you know because i i feel like in so many ways you know just like there is no replacement for spiritual communal live music um you know uh there is especially as it relates to even though i was never able to access the one of these retreats that you guys you guys that you were teaching at you know in person is with deep listening uh and it's just that much more intimate and authentic and i just wonder how you know how how your livelihood and has changed i mean the online thing is thank god we have it but i don't know yeah absolutely you know but i mean how have has it been what has been the hardest part for you since the pandemic began i mean do, do you feel like oh uh, you know for well, you? certainly i i mean i i i miss seeing seeing people um in person and you know getting to be right there in the same room with them but um, really not, not that much has changed. I, I, I was already teaching the deep listening courses online, so that's just continued. And um, uh, one thing that, that has been on hold is my um, you know, private classical percussion t- 
teaching at Sonoma State simply because not many people have access to symphony and marimba and things like that. Um, but you know that'll that'll come back. Um, and uh, my musicianship teaching through Mills College um, that you know that's been a big challenge doing that online. But um, but it's working out. You just you just have to focus on on what does work well and build from there and uh, you know get creative so financially things um things have kind of stayed pretty steady for me i've been very fortunate in that way yeah actually yeah. when i last time i talked to, to george he, i think he's thriving in this in this environment actually yeah, um, yeah. i like not community community you know, I mean, just, but also it's like, I mean, he seems to, yeah, I mean, uh, it's, I, I'm not even talking about the financial component of it, though that's, that's important. I mean, it, it's, yeah. it's more like, you know, if you feel, you know, because you, you're so devoted to your, your craft that, you know, after a while, you don't want to just be going through the, not just going through the motions, but, you know, you, you just, you wonder about that lack of, I mean, we were already separated from each other enough before the pandemic and now we're even more walled off. And I just, you know, I just, I think it just comes down to, you know, what in your mind in the, that, you, what are the, the greatest qualities of leadership that can impact, uh, you know, the communities that you work in to affect positive change in their worlds? I mean, this people you, you say things like oh they you know that that'll come back classical percussion you know I, I quite honestly I, I mean we are at a point where I mean if we need a lot of luck for things to come back a lot mm-hmm. uh, we are in mm-hmm. a, a severe um, uh, crisis as it relates to culture uh, in, in fact some of the yeah. older musicians uh, would say that we are no we no longer have any culture we, we're one big civilization. And again, it goes to this homogenization of everything going on and how that seems to be, oh, let's just get them to play like that because that's what the last hit was like. Or, you know, obviously the machinery, machine parts are obviously a major issue as well. But it's like this idea towards how do you push back against conformity and what are the most important qualities of leadership in your mind uh, as a teacher of, uh, of deep listening? Right. Um, well, I, first of all, I, I want to you know, make it clear that I, I really recognize how privileged I am to, to be able to work from home um, and to continue to do what I do online. So um, I'm, you know, I'm not personally being affected by many of the things that, that so many are affected by right now. Um, so I, I have to acknowledge that first. Um, Absolutely. And uh, I think, so I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to within what I can do online to I feel like um, the most important quality of, of leadership that I can offer is um, is modeling uh, being being grounded um, being in present in the moment and having amusement um, being playful yeah um, and uh, I think play is is so so crucial um so when we can approach whatever we're doing you know any kind of music making or um, whatever we're doing creatively from from the point of view of just just getting curious and and getting playful 
um, that solves a lot right there. <laughs> uh, so I, I think that's a, that's a very important quality of, of leadership is being playful. Um, you know, a lot of people would say that, I just want to be clear. I mean, can you talk about mm-hmm. play? Because a lot of, a lot of the, mm-hmm. you know, Dizzy Gillespie, again, I know you're not a, a you know, touring road dogging jazz bebopper, but right. he, he's like, right. we're not playing, man. We're not playing. You know, people would say, oh, you're playing. People say, oh, you're, you're yeah. lucky. People, you know, I'm talking about live musicians too. I mean, they, they say, oh, you're sure. playing. You're lucky you're getting paid. It's like, they're not playing. You know this, the amount of hours and dedication, struggle, hardship, failure, falling down. And then this connotation, I know what you're talking about. You make it more stimulating and and engaging. But that word play is a tricky word as it relates to music because uh, play connotates fun. And this is, um, (laughs) it's serious stuff. Yeah. That's the way I feel about yeah, it. Yeah, right. And you have to be working hard and very hard. serious in order for it to yeah. matter, right? You could, you haven't gotten to where you are without, you know, again, I, I totally know what you're saying about, you know, because George and I, you know, Aladdin, uh, Matthew, and, yeah. and, you know, I mean, those guys yeah. were masters of games and, and playing and right. make, and bringing in different, like, multi-entertainment people, playing off comedians and this, that. And, I mean, it was just – and. You know, somehow they walked out of the clubs with money in their pocket. I mean, it was brilliant. I mean, it was just, it's a very different, you know, I think that that's what I want you to talk to people about who are going to hear this uh, podcast when it goes up today, tomorrow, or Mm -hmm. after we've left this planet is that because we live in this time, everything is driven by data and we know that healing music sound is quite honestly unquantifiable and i just Mm -hmm. wanted you to talk about to people that have um you know the the ability and the power to uh you know to create uh, budgets and funding and you know Mm -hmm. why is music essential for our salvation I, i i really think we are at a point now where you know people love food and you hear all this stuff about bars and restaurants catering cratering and getting bailed out and that's you know that's fine okay so we have you know we have you know uh uh, you know the the, but but where's the where's the i just feel that we're at a crossroads um no 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 colleges are gonna you know necessarily close up their music programs because people are paying for them but as far as like as it Mm -hmm. relates to the um, viability of music as a profession. Can you talk about the unquantifiable nature of music and why it is essential for our salvation as as a, as a species? Yeah. Um, well, music is part of who we are. <laughs> it it just is part of our of who we are. It it is a uh, a mode of communication that we can share with one another. Um, that uh, bypasses verbal communication um, and can express with it, uh, can carry so much more uh, subtlety of information than words alone can communicate or just visual images. Um, It 
we we perceive it with our whole bodies uh, sound and um yeah i i think that's just it it, it is such an important uh, essential form of communication that um it's not i don't think it's going to go away um i i think human beings will find ways to continue to um keep uh ways of sharing music together alive and it it is just going to transform i i have i have no doubt that you know it may it may uh you know have lots more rough patches if you look at it just from a marketplace point of view um but um it's not going to go away because it it is who we are that's i think that's all i can say maybe, maybe it's not specific enough uh, no I mean I just wonder I mean like I don't believe it's going away I just don't know if it's something that is you know seen as like people see it as a a, I'm talking about people that you know uh, you know they just see it as some as a musician's gift to the world it's not It it should be I mean there was a time and a place in this country when musicians were making um similar wages uh maybe not they were you know it was doctors and lawyers uh they weren't they were seen as viable commodities i have no doubt right. that music itself will continue on but we are i just you know can you talk about why that form of communication nonverbal communication can potentially heal the world um well i think uh well, we're kind of two things there. Um, we, first of all, what do we mean by healing the world? Um, and I, since each one of us, um, my perception is, is each one of us is the world, um, you know, it starts with, with ourselves, each one of us um, assuming responsibility for, for our, our own uh, uh, self-healing. Um, and the the other the other part of it is education um, right. that uh, I think that music educators um, and anyone who cares about music has a big responsibility to um, continue to bring uh, bring young people and people of all ages into um, contact with live music or, and musical experiences that are meaningful to them and and um, just like people you know people need to be exposed to nature and to animals and you know all the wonderful um, diversity of, uh, of life forms that are on the planet uh, people need to to have contact with that and they need to be educated um, and Exposed to the intrinsic value of all of those things, um, but if but if they're not, then they might not get it. Um, so yeah, education is, I think, really important. Not that you need, um, you know, uh, you know, you have clients, and you know, you're like you said, you you feel very blessed to still be working at a, you know, not really haven't been affected. Um, as much as other people, but um, you know, 
at 42, I know that um, because of my elders, um, you know, they helped me find my voice behind the radio. I, I wouldn't, uh, we just cooked through 64 minutes here. I, I mean, I wouldn't mm. have been able to do this mm. an, a, 10 years ago. I'm starting my second decade now. I recognize that I have mm. certain superpowers, as everybody does. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. want you to talk to people out there who are interested in accessing their multidimensional self, taking on uh, something, maybe not necessarily a career, but uh, diving into something uh, more metaphysical and spiritual. What is Jennifer Wilsey's superpower? What allows you to cut through the morass of all the other people doing what you're doing? Oh, golly. Uh, and you can be eager to let your ego into this. I mean, what is what is your <laughs> when people say to you, boy, you know, I've never had, you know, what is that essence that makes you you? Um, I, I think part of it is is sensitivity um, or very very uh very high sensitivity in a lot of ways um and uh i think embracing that uh, whatever a person's sensitivity is is really important um i i really value communication um and so uh, uh and kindness <laughs> i love it no it's beautiful that, i mean if you kindness. can and you and you and, and instead of instead of being instead of looking at it as some kind of weakness you really lean in you embrace it yeah that's beautiful really yeah because yeah that's where it's at (laughs) well you know um yeah i can feel the sincerity and 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 uh i think your students in general and have been very lucky to have you and i i think it's important now to um as you know um i just i I don't know what i can't see i don't really care about seeing the future but i just feel like it's imperative upon everybody um to continue to push themselves out of their comfort zone uh Mm -hmm. to inspire other people uh and um and so for someone like yourself who's you know very sensitive but also uh, craves communication, nonverbal or verbal, and you know, wanting to be playful, curious within music. I think, um, you know, I just think it's it's important that um, that you continue to, um, I think, go out and and not you know and, and keep pushing the envelope. Just because, like you said, you know, within communities, once you get into a community or a new community, all of a sudden. Um, the innovation uh, takes place. And I think that, you know, for me, I want to continue to create for as long as I can and uh, continue to get this information out to the public, uh, you know, in books, uh, using new media, um, and just continuing to go out and sort of take that insecure path uh, wherever it leads me. Uh, Because I think that, you know, I think a lot of I can speak for my daughters and younger generations. I mean, they're, they're being in a lot of ways taught what to think and not how to think. Mm. And obviously Mm, if mm -hmm. they have, if they have elders or parents that have the ability to give them experiences outside of that, then they're going to be okay. But we are seeing, um, I mean, you can see 
irrational behavior all around you because nobody's thinking for themselves anymore. Uh, it's, it, right. and, and so that is key. And that's all I'm saying. I'm not, you know, I'm, you know, just, uh, it was really an honor to, to, uh, talk to you and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I look forward to seeing you guys again, uh, you know, when it's safe, I, I have to prove it to myself. I mean, I think I'm going to go to Mardi Gras in, in March, whatever that's going to look like. Wow. Yeah. I got to wow. get back, you know, I got to get back on the road. I've been, you know, it's, it's after a year of not being able to see music, it's, you know, yeah. I, that, it's it's been hard because that's one way I I get he I can heal myself. But but you know, right. I, I think everybody's got to prove it to themselves in some way. Coming back after this, we've all whether or not you've been affected economically, everyone's kind of going to have some collective post traumatic stress disorder, and we're all going to have to prove it to ourselves that we can you know go back and get out there and and not necessarily always just buy into the dogma that's being preached through the I don't know six information portals that we have in our society and and i just want people to think for themselves it's important and and show personal responsibility as well so i don't know i hope you had i hope you had a good time i I it was beautiful to talk to you great time this was really wonderful jake and uh yeah and i I wanted to just uh, one more little thought to add into what you were just talking about um i think the more that the more that people can um just a uh, give themselves permission to allow the shift that's happening right now um, just a little bit um, like you're saying get out of their comfort zones um, but I think there's a tremendous um, there's tremendous positive potential in everything that's going on right now and uh, again uh, I you know I speak from a place of personal privilege in terms of uh, having a safe place to live and uh, you know some some enough income um and uh, but uh as we're returning to so-called normal life post-pandemic um i think it's really important to to um bring that quality of curiosity into well what if I allow it to be different? You know, what what can I allow to be different and new um, in this shift? Uh, even if it feels a little uncomfortable at first, and lean into uh, what, that. Yeah, what, exactly. Yeah, yeah lean, lean into it and find out what what is what is life calling from me right now through me. You know, to 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 see or understand or know differently now because of this. Just. Does 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 Pauline come visit you in dreams? She she certainly has. Can you talk about a dream that when she's visited you and what that's like? Yeah, I have a lot. I have a lot of I have a lot of connections with with parents of healers and uh, not a lot, mm-hmm. but some, and it's becoming more uh, evident that you know, like like you talked about before, it's beyond just the the senses we we're taught or we know about I mean, can you talk about a specific dream when she's what is that like when she comes to you sure um yeah uh, well the first one that comes to mind is a dream i had actually just a few months before she died hmm. in 2016 and in this dream i was um standing in a uh an indoor space that was kind of cavernous a lot like um uh, a space that was used to be the Berkeley Art Museum uh, here in Berkeley. Um, it had sort of these big sort of concrete structures, big open space. 
and I was standing with uh, Pauline's spouse, Ione, and uh, with a few other people from the deep listening community who were showing up, and I was carrying Pauline in my arms, you know, like her legs over my left arm and, you know, her shoulders up around my, you know, like you'd pick somebody up and carry them. And I was standing there going, oh, what the heck? Why am I carrying Pauline Oliveros? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, well, I guess this is what's supposed to happen. And and then she didn't really say anything, but then just kind of nodded at one point and thought, you know, that it was time to set her down. And, um, and there was a really wonderful feeling of, of just being with the community of deep listening people there. But uh, it was this moment of like, what? You know, why am I holding Polly and all of her? Um, and then uh, it, she she passed away in November of that that year. And, uh, you know, I had already been teaching in the online program. and um, But then uh, not too long after that, um, I was invited by Ione and Eloise to continue with working with them um, in teaching the uh, deep listening retreats. Um, so in a way, um, I had the you know real privilege of, of carrying on some of Pauline's work. Um, so that that was one dream. <laughs> that was a kind of a doozy. Um, I mean, I guess maybe uh, in post yeah. post mortem, she still is visiting you, and she, you feel like she's in a good place. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm t- I'm trying to remember. Uh, I've had a few. Um, there was one where we were, I think, standing in line for a. This was pre-pandemic. Uh, standing in line for a, a restaurant or some kind of cafeteria, and uh, gosh, I don't remember the details of it. But um, it's okay. I mean, the point is, you um, know, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, you know that she is. Gave me a big, she's communicated yeah. enough to you to know that she is in a good place oh oh yeah absolutely and and uh you know my 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 sense is that uh you know we we get to experience time and space here um in our lives on on this planet um but life is so much more beyond um the our perception of time and space so uh, you know, Pauline's not gone, and that's uh, right. That's you know, right. Neither, neither will either of us be when we when our bodies are done. Um, so, you know, it's kind of like it, the the communication doesn't stop. It's it's all there whenever you want it. Bless you, Jennifer. Uh, I hope to see you very soon. It was great to talk to you. Likewise, Jake. <laughs> and, and lots of blessings to you and all that you're doing and really really appreciate everything that you're sharing with everyone uh, really wonderful work you're doing oh, thank you my friend it means a lot and uh, it'll right. continue on you know hopefully uh, okay. better days ahead so bless you and uh, say hi to George Marsh for me uh, I sure will alright all later right. take care man bye, bye. Yeah, we are all looking to reach that place of purity and peace. I think, um, you know, based on your work, uh, the universe will protect you. And in Jennifer Wilsey's case, there's no doubt that uh, because she leads with her heart, um, that the universe has and will continue to protect her long after she's left this planet. Uh, 
We'll be back with Johnny Vidakovich at the top of the hour. This is the Jake Feinberg Show on Power Talk.